This episode is sponsored by Vorboss. Check them out in the description below. Yeah, uh, objection story. Jake has one. I have one. Um, so we're walking around. Sorry, jumping back to when we we're talking about signing yeah. people up in person, right? Yeah. I will continue with more maths around the business model in a second. We can just keep asking the questions too. Yeah. We will come back to questions, but this is a good story. We're walking around and I was by Paddington and we we're like, we need to get a hotel here. And there's this little square oh, right man. next to it with tons of hotels, right? I'm going into one, going into another. And you know, it's also, it's personally grinding. Everyone should do hard sales at some point in their life. Agreed. You used agreed, to be a recruiter. Agreed. You know this. I've done hard yep. sales in person. Yeah. I've done exactly. character building. You know, it's it's seriously, it seriously is. When you talk the fuck off to your face, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Exactly. it changes you. Changes yeah. And then you, have, and you have to like, okay, and walk yeah. away. And, yeah. and next one, next one. Thank you for your time. That's great, yeah. Honestly, the most important thing to like, so many people are afraid of starting businesses because they're like, oh, but how am I going to do stuff? It's like, just ask, ask for stuff. Like, go and do the stuff. Don't underestimate just the power of asking. Yeah, we say that all the time. This. Yep. So, so, true. so going hotel to hotel it's a grind getting no's getting no's getting no's I have a story about how we did eventually get a hotel there um, but anyway going from hotel to hotel go into one and I'm like I'm not taking no from this guy I go in I start talking and the guy's like ah oh, yes but sir I'm like no 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 wait hear me out I know you're about to say this, you know, your obje objection is going to be, uh, I don't have space. Don't worry. You only need like literally a back room as a tiny, tiny. He says, yeah, but sir, but I'm like, no, no, no. Hear me out. Okay. I know you're going to say, how much money can I make? Right. Uh, you can make uh, this much per month. Don't worry about it. He's, yeah, but sir. I'm like, no, I know <laughs> safety. Don't worry. It's the exact same as a hotel check. And he says, but sir. This is the consulate for the Sultanate of Brunei. I accept your rejection in this yeah. one yeah. in this one case. Yeah, I'm defeated now. Yes. That's fair. I, that is fair. Okay. It looked like a really nice hotel. I had an identical story with a slightly different punchline. Exact same setup. I was there, like I'm determined. Like I've been through enough hotels and hostels. I'm gonna get a yes out of this one. So I go to the Star Hotel hostel, sorry, in Belfast, and I'm going through the same process as Ant, like handling all these objections before he's got the chance to say it. And he says, "This is like a, a homeless shelter hostel." Okay. I was like, I'll myself To be fair, you could really do with extra revenue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you give any specific advice to females who are looking to raise money at the moment? Uh, know your numbers, which is advice I would give any founder. Be confident. And just know your business inside out. Um, but also, I think women can be a little bit more shy or, or at unease with the accomplishments. So realize what you've done and how incredible what you've built is. Because if you don't realize that, no one else is going to realize it for you. Mm -hmm. And I think that is quite important. I think men, sorry, um, can have quite big egos uh, compared to women. And then if a woman is confident, they're, I don't know, they're deemed to be too confident. So it's, it's difficult to, get the yeah to find the right level of confidence yeah it's i think it's it's such an interesting topic of conversation i'm actually i'm actually curious to get your opinion because it is quite a big topic of discussion at the moment as i'm sure you're aware the idea of you know people are looking to make more of a conscious effort to hire women in certain positions and certain roles and industries and things like that um and obviously you, you know when you 
consume mainstream media you see two sides of the coin you see one side of people going you know we need to make more of an effort to include women in these spaces because they have historically been left out of them and then you hear the other side of the coin of people saying well i'm not getting these advantages as a man when i'm going into the room i'm just i've just worked hard got the grades got the degree and i'm turning up to an interview why are they getting a handicap and there's sort of two arguments that are always made i'm curious to know what you think about that whole side of it yeah i i i think that people should be given a little bit more not hand holding because that's kind of demeaning but a, a little bit more support if they are a m minority that doesn't fit within the current kind of status quo i think they should be given more support um i find the kind of women only events and spaces quite difficult i've always kind of worked in a male dominated industry and i also just feel that sometimes having those female only spaces don't help because you have to deal with men in kind of everyday life so you can't just surround yourself by women i think you have to have a good mix and it can be yeah it, it it can kind of it can be difficult if you're if you're only having conversations with with women about anything and then you kind of have to go off and speak to a man. They'll expect you to kind of act in a different way. Mm. You've kind of got to work out how you work together. Do you think everyone should get a credit card? I think if you know how to manage your finance as well, credit cards are much better than debit cards. Why? Because a couple of like very practical reasons. One, you're not spending your own money initially. So you can pay it off all the time. You can pay it off daily if you want to. But if there are any issues with like a hotel authorization that's coming out of your bank account, credit card authorization that's coming out of your bank account, if you have a dispute, it comes out of your bank account first. So there's a whole bunch of like liability risk that you're protecting yourself with a credit card because you just pay it back later. And if it's disputed, you don't get charged on your bill. Secondly, if you want to buy a house in the future, one of the things lenders will look at is your credit history. Using your credit card well is a really positive signal for future lending products, so mortgages, car finance, things like that. Um, so be better on the credit history. Um, thirdly, just rewards are much better. Um, credit card exchanges higher, so they can offer more generous rewards as well, so you get more benefits with it as well. Um, and then lastly, just cash flow management. If you pay it off in the interest-free period, you don't pay any interest anyway. And if you have any emergencies as well, you've got an emergency buffer as well. So good example, my co-founder, fortunately his father-in-law passed away and funeral expenses are not cheap. And he has money, but they had a lot of cash flow shortages. And so having a credit card actually meant they could smooth the cash flow out. My flights back to Australia are like four and a half thousand pounds. That's wow. a lot of cash. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Like, because I fly back during Christmas and my wife and I. And so actually putting a credit card means that I can pay it off within you know, the, the interest fee period. It doesn't cost me any interest, but helps me manage my cash flow. And if I want to borrow for maybe two, three months, that's a really good way of managing borrowing for a short period of time as well. I would say credit cards are really good for day-to-day -day spending, cash flow management, emergencies, credit score building, and for protection. Not good for long-term lending. Mm. So I would always recommend do not use credit cards if you want to borrow for long-term. 
you might unless you use maybe like a balanced transfer which has zero percent but in general their personal loans are designed for long-term borrowing so i always say all these financial products are really really important for different jobs you want to solve in your life personal loan for like a longer term large ticket item buy now pay later for a distinct item that you want to borrow for that one item a mortgage for a house car finance for a car credit card for cash flow management day-to-day spending so different jobs to be done but actually very mm. valuable and if you think about it, if you pay off your credit card let's just call it you paid off daily that is on net better than using a debit card because you get the rewards yeah. you get credit score building you take no risk of of spending if you paid off daily and you still have the emergency buffer if you need it as well mm. um now i think some people are just like i don't know how to manage my finances too. The temptation is too great. And I recognize that for some people that's not appropriate for mm. them. So I think for if you can't use it well, um, then that is a part of that. I would say you should probably just stick with a debit card, but then you need to worry about overdraft and then worry about other lending products as well. So mm. I'd say there's no magic bullet. Um, I think with most financial products, there is neither good nor evil. They're all tools and tools used well are really great. Tools used badly are really harmful. And I use the analogy of the team all the time that credit or, or, or any sort of financial product is like fire. It's really powerful for like, if you use it well, like heating, fire is great for heating, cooking, combustion. Like there's so many great uses for fire. And on the flip side, it can be very destructive as well. It can burn you. It can um, cause a bushfire. It can burn a house down. Fire is neither good nor evil. It is just an innate sort of tool that can be used for both good or evil. And I'd say the same thing about credit cards and yeah. most financial products as well. This is the economics of, of, of the cosmetics world. The vast majority of products are being sold in your local drugstore, whether it's Walgreens, Boots, or wherever you are in the world. Those, pro- those companies take 30 to 50% margin of your product. And you have to be able to manufacture and have enough fat in the system to be able to reorder the second and third batch. Otherwise, you'll go bankrupt. So knowing that, and say you're selling a product at £5, that means they've t- already taken £2 away. Mm. Your VAT's gone. That's also another pound. And now you're left with £2. Now, in that £2, you're going to have to ha- create, buy packaging. So my packaging costs about a pound per door. And then your uh, the ingredient that you're filling it with. Now, because wow. I'm using expensive ingredients, the ingredients itself are £5. Mm. You wouldn't be able to sell it let alone manufacture it so if whatever you're buying in boots just as a matter of maths the ingredients have to have to come up to less than 50 pence so the model wow. so the model must be then just direct to consumer it is it has to be because that's the only way you can it actually... is but the other thing to know is the product you're buying in your local drugstore are cheap product meaning not just you're buying it and it's cheap mm, that's just blowing my mind the ingredients yeah, yeah, yeah. being put in there no matter what, yeah, what yeah. the claims are because by definition it has exactly. to be that exactly yeah. and that's what people don't understand wow and so that what what i realized was that's hold on so these nuts. are all really yeah. cheap 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 products with lots of claims yeah but actually what i realized is they're not using ingredients in the therapeutic index their cosmetic law cosmetic regulation is very lax you can for example put 0.0001% retinol and say this is a retinol cream yeah 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 i'm with you okay i saw and that I saw, I saw the video you did on yeah. the retinol creams yeah. I, I watched that same thing yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. wow so i didn't think people didn't realize this because <sighs> there's a curtain on the cosmetic yeah. world and no one's going to expose it yeah of course and so when i started exposing product after product after product yeah then people start to understand and then they went hold on so actually dr v can you make us a product we these are the percentages we want 
these are the ingredients that we want and put them together. And so I started making tyrosinase inhibitor kits with 10 tyrosinase inhibitors. Mm. That doesn't make any logical sense. The reason is you can only remember three. So if you're in Boots, you'd be like, oh, this is a retinol cream. I can remember one ingredient. You would never remember 10 ingredients. So mm. why would you put 10 ingredients in when it's financially not viable mm. and people aren't going to remember anyway? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why that model didn't work for me. It's because I had to create a whole new world where people can learn, they can educate themselves, and they can buy D to C. Mm. So there's no middleman. Yeah. I don't need to give an extra 30% mm -hmm. margin mm -hmm. to anybody. So imagine for me, you're buying a retinaldehyde retinol uh, serum which doesn't even exist on the market. You can't actually buy it anywhere else because there's such in expensive ingredients mm. to combine together um, at a reasonable price that it, it just wouldn't be viable on any shelf. And that's the vast majority of skincare. Mm. You, you win by default. That's mad. Yeah. What's something that people don't know about the supermarket industry? Are there any dark secrets or things that people would be surprised to know? The, the darkest secret which isn't isn't a secret when you tell people they get it straight away but they don't think about it but the supermarkets are never never going to be healthy until those big giants of the world decide that they want to go healthy and for them it makes no sense to because it increases their costs there's not enough demand for what they're doing they can't kind of sell through what they're doing right and it if when you've got shareholder profits in mind it's far more profitable to yeah. peddle cheap products that sell more and you make more margin from so I think it's more just the case of, of realizing that these supermarkets and they, they are slightly getting better. I know Tesco have got this share action stuff coming in, but again, that's not from Tesco. That's from share action that have, have pushed that, but they're very, very susceptible to profits, promotions, marketing spends, right. And all the other stuff, because margins are low in supermarkets, right. They make most of their profit from all of these other kind of promotions and, and, and where they, where they can get sort of extra bits of money, they'll take it. And, I think, as I say, most supermarkets for a long, long time are still going to be dominated by P&G, Unilever, any of the big brands, Nestle, you know, and, and they're still going to push for market space. And what, what happens is that, as I say, a new brand comes along and it could be, for example, let's take 100 Gather or someone that on our store that, that sells really well, it could be mayonnaise. They'll come onto the shelves and they're, they're very clean mayonnaise, no seed oils, no, no kind of nasty ingredients that are in there. And Unilever will just bring out a, a different type of mayonnaise pay for promotion to push that mayonnaise all yeah. the way down the other side mm. of the shelf and eventually Hunter Gab will get delisted because mm. their sales aren't good enough for Tesco to actually make profit from wow. and their products are more expensive than, than new leavers would be anyway yeah, so yeah. It's, it's a really really hard system to break uh, and I think the only thing that's going to break it is the consumer mm. are you optimistic? I am optimistic yeah I'm, I'm, I'm a naturally optimistic person so yeah I am massively optimistic but there is a hell of a lot of education that needs to go on because the education needs to increase demand and that's not necessarily for people like us to be making more money, which would obviously be amazing, but just general awareness of ingredients and nutrients and you know prioritizing that in our food system it's just been completely lost like you go to you go to the European countries you go to places like France et cetera and they they really do choose organic products and things like that and it's not even like they're not sitting there thinking, oh yeah, spiritually organic's better for me it's just like that's ingrained in their culture to value the food that they're eating yeah the u k just don't have that value no. we don't have the same value on on the food and the ingredients in the food chain and everything else and we just talked i just got back from japan right and japan is like 
absolute advocates that they don't even let you bring food into the country because they don't want it tarnishing their food system. Wow. They're not. I didn't know that actually. Okay. Very strict. Wow, you know, wow. and their, their beef is all their own. They, they don't even have their, their own meats. Their, their pork mm. is. You know, we talk about like in our space. Obviously, grass-fed meat is a big thing, right? Yeah. Grass-fed meat is, is obviously good quality. It's a given in Japan. Right. It's all grass-fed. Like it's not. It's kind of all been that way, right? Yeah. So, I think it's just you know in the UK you really struggle with that. If there's one mm. thing that I like swear I lose my shit about every single day uh, and it hasn't changed in five years is people's ability to to simply write and I know I sound like mm. I sound like such a snob for saying that but um, we've really lost that yeah um, when you say write what do you mean by that anything like write an email write a you know write not a letter but just an internal document write a business case uh, write a press release write whatever it might be do you mean sort of practically or in terms of people not using kind of luscious vocabulary and no I'm, like I'm a huge fan of you know kind of the economist style guide approach of like plain english simple words right you know they shouldn't you know always avoid jargon don't use acronyms mm. uh don't use a big word when a shorter one will do yeah, yeah you know i'm not here for the kind of snobbery of the language um but but just the ability to kind of get a point across in written form right you know some of that kind of basic stuff the pyramid principle stuff you know the number of times i see an email where it's like yep cool and the last line of your email should have been the first line what's it like signing someone like Fortnite? like getting to work with you get to work with Fortnite. yeah 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 um it's very interesting like um a lot of these sort of brands will come up and um they literally um are like new to the whole merchandise angle mm. so we did this thing with ninja he used to be a famous youtuber yeah, yeah he yeah. did this thing with drake and suddenly he was the hottest thing ever yeah and we're like do you want to do a range we'll do like a range he's like yeah cool let's do it so we did ranges well and we do these sort of things with these you know up and coming guys so you worked with ninja from fortnite yeah yeah, yeah. that's so dope he that's like, quite a cool accolade that's <laughs> <a> great yeah <laughs> that's quite cool what's ninja yeah. what's ninja like he was uh well, we didn't really like the the way it's all set up. You don't really work with them. You like kind of have like one meeting where they like kind of might be involved agreeing mm. the terms of the contract, and then they're like, right, just do all the design, send us everything, and we'll sign it off, and then you know we'll leave it. But basically, they'll sign off like we're going to launch it in store, and there's going to be some like the logos on the floor, and the range is going to be like this. So generally, you get to kind of create that look for them and they'll sign it off. I, I probably spent my 20s and 30s working seven days a week. And I think I remember once, and it was wrong to do so because it'll ruin your life um, and, and you'll put on a lot of weight. Uh, uh, I, I remember once, it was a Sunday afternoon, it's 4 p.m. And I I said to myself, oh, I've got an hour off. I was so excited. Mm. That's wrong. So there is a price you pay for all of this. So you wouldn't say you loved what you were doing then at that point? I loved it but there's a price to pay for addiction, um, an obsession. Mm. And um, and by the way, 1999, well, the, the premonitions that I used to get, not premonitions, these strong feelings I get, I remember saying to my grandmother, I said, I think I'm gonna be asked to do something in government. This is where it gets spooky. Uh, I think I'm gonna get a letter from the prime minister. This was the time where I could think of something and it would happen. It's nuts. Do you believe in the secret? I don't know. I mean, there's. There's people who've got incredibly successful lives who believe in it. Um, I was gobsmacked when I saw um, Oprah Winfrey believed in it, and you know it happens. I think what it is is whether you believe in that part or not. It's the fact that whatever you're thinking about constantly, it's not that you necessarily make. I can think all the time about losing weight, but 
Mm. It's not going to happen unless I move my ass. It's the fact that you end up doing something about what you're obsessed about. So if you're obsessed about, mm. I mean, I think it's from Citizen Kane, um, uh, where he says it's a fantastic line. He goes, "There's no secret to make. Uh, there's, there's no difficulty to making money if making money is what you care about." And it's that point of the obsession. Uh, I soon discovered making money wasn't what I was obsessed about, uh, in actual fact. And as a as a friend of mine once put it, a former MP put it, he says, "You don't actually have the greed gene." And I don't. I've got a question that I was, um, I've been thinking about for a little while. And I heard someone say this once, and I think because you're the first person we've had on here that uh, has their own charity, especially one that helps people abroad, I'd be really curious to hear your perspective on it. Um, I was speaking to someone once and they said, one of my issues, I think they said they, they prefer to give their money to people that they see, like you said, like homeless people that they see on the streets or in person or people that they know in their community, because, um, the quote unquote sort of Africa stuff that they see, you know, with like things like um, comic relief, that sort of thing. They say um, there's kind of been a numbness to it in a way, culturally, I'd say, because it's been around for so long and people sort of, I think that's a shame because I think it means people lose faith in the work that is being done. And we know that there's so much amazing work being done by, you know, things like comic relief, by things like, you know, the work that you're doing. What do you think about people's kind of, um, I guess, cultural numbing, you know, because they see the adverts, they see the TV stuff, and they go, well, where's the money really going? Hasn't it been long enough now? It seems like you know it's kind of the same now that it was then. Um, and I thought that was an interesting point, and I think, it's, I think it's a bit of a shame, but I'd love to get your, your opinion on it. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a really valid point, and uh, donor fatigue is what it's called, where people just get tired of giving to the same cause. And funny enough, I don't know if you saw the reports of the, the defense minister yesterday saying to the Ukrainian government, we're not the Amazon of weapons. So, uh, so I think that the the the, the quote there was basically there's maybe a slight frustration yeah. that the the UK government is supporting the Ukrainian government so much during mm. this kind of war that they're going through. So, mm. it happens on a governmental level as well, mm. where um, where you saw a couple of years ago the US pull out of Afghanistan after 20 years of, yeah. of war so um, it's yeah it's tough um, and and uh, there's need all over the world and and where do you start right it's it's that you you see these things and you feel so helpless you know like my my pound or my dollar um, my money is it's so worthless to the bigger impact of mm -hmm. this 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 issue but i'd like to cast your mind back to 2020 when we were all locked up in our rooms during covid and how helpless we all felt and i, I don't know about you but we were inundated with people that wanted to support i think covid all taught us that we're we're mortal and that we want to give back to society um you know people out there clapping for carers and mm. packing people's bags and giving people food to everyone that needed it I think it definitely brought some people together. Right? And community. Mm -hmm. I think that's we're inherently community driven and, 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 and like to be together. That's why the the lockdown was so frustrating mm -hmm. for all of us. Um and I always say that you, you don't have to fly across the world to, to give. Um there are people outside of your doorstep right now that need your support, you know, uh, and they don't, they probably don't need your money either. They, they probably need your time mm. or your skills uh, or your advocacy or your support. So money isn't 
the only way that you could support good causes around the world and i think that's something important to to bear in mind as well i wanted to touch on something uh it's a little bit more serious but it's what you mentioned both off air and you kind of alluded to it earlier in the interview but uh you mentioned that you nearly lost your life so um i was out i was actually i had the most amazing six months between graduating from university and, and starting my first job where it's supposed to be the most amazing six months i um trailed along with my uh, parents on their retirement trip to Australia and New Zealand to carry the bags and drive the car, which was fantastic. And then I went away for a month to do um, ski instructor training in Japan. Uh, I love skiing. Uh, it's another uh, privileged aspect of my of my life to have, to have gone so many times. And I just wanted to do an instructor course and, and ski where I'd never skied before. So I went, went off to Japan and I spent about, I think it was about four weeks in in total there and qualified as a, an instructor but the night i qualified i actually got uh, hit by a car and the situation was i'd come back from a night out we were celebrating having uh, qualified as instructors i'd actually organized a sweepstake for the person that got the highest mark in their personal skiing everyone like puts in a beer and the person that gets the highest mark in their personal skiing gets all the beers and I actually ended up getting the highest mark. So I organized a sweepstake that I, and then I sweeped or yeah. sweeped swept. for everyone, swept um, for everyone else's drinks. And I was, I was pretty drunk, but unfortunately my jacket had got, got nicked from the, from the bar I was in and it was freezing cold night and a bit of a blizzard. So um, I was basically jogging home. I'm also a big runner. Jogging, jog, you jogged home in a blizzard. I jogged home in a blizzard, but it, it felt kind of safe doesn't sound very safe it that felt... sounds like the most badass thing i've ever heard in my life no oh, it's definitely not badass particularly not the way the story turns out but um i i was very cold and needed to move so i i did jog and i was jogging on the pavement but uh, i got to my accommodation and um crossed the road and i think i was jogging i don't remember it super clearly and slipped over and then a car came and hit me um it, just in the leg which was very lucky because if it had been my head or my chest it would have been um, probably instant death unfortunately the car was traveling quite fast and then um, that was I mean felt like a bit of a blessing to be honest I, it was very very painful but very lucky not to, that it wasn't more serious because you know you say it described it as badass I think it's one of the most embarrassing things I've done done in my life and what I put my family through um, yeah not great that's I quite mean, a it, reflective way to look at it well I think it, it comes from a it comes from a stance of it was very unlucky. Um, lots of things went wrong. Blizzard. Very difficult to see down the length of the road. Impossible to see that a car was coming anytime soon. Crossing the road, slipping over is unlucky. Um, but I think you do kind of need to own up and take responsibility for decisions you, you, you make in your life that put you in positions like that. And certainly me going out for a big night drinking as, as fun as it was. Um, to then jog jog back in a blizzard badass but dumb i would say um, i respect that how yeah. does your if at all kind of perspective change when something like that happens well the the actual the the, the crucial bit of the story is that wasn't the near-death bit so um i was then in hospital and i had an operation to put metal in my leg and uh, the operation went really well but the morning afterwards i woke up with a really bad complication with my lungs called acute respiratory distress and uh, when people uh, die from covid that's often the condition they end up in uh, and it's uh, life very life-threatening so um i actually the worst part of the whole thing was 
um i i was i woke up in a big fever the day after the operation and i was rushed around the hospital doing loads and loads of checks and i was taken to this big room with every doctor and nurse i'd seen during my time in this small ski hospital called kuchan hospital um and then the chief of the hospital kind of came to my bedside and said we need to um we need to kind of sedate you now because there's quite a big risk to your life and oh I, I was i don't even know how i'd respond if someone said yeah, that to I me yeah i was um i was worried i was quite grateful that they weren't going to have to amputate my leg because no one had told me anything and i'd kind of assumed that was the way things were going because it seemed like an urgent situation oh was that like was that on the cards i don't think it was on the cards but that's what was in my head your thought because was, there was had an operation on yeah head, so exactly be, like something right. must have gone wrong there was an infection somewhere um i was talked through about all the kind of operational risks ahead of the operation anyway um so very luckily for me my dad uh, was out in japan with me um he'd flown out when i was originally hit by um by the car so he was there with me for the operation and in the aftermath and um i insisted that they didn't sedate me until he'd arrived um and so i got to kind of hug him and and basically say goodbye but i had to call my my mum and my brothers back here in the uk and um and kind of deliver the news and and come to terms with the fact that i might not see, not see them again which was hard um but anyway it turns into a happy story because um i was sedated i was put in a coma for a few days i was transferred to sapporo which is the capital of hokkaido the top island in japan uh, to a, a bigger hospital there with a bigger intensive care and almost as quickly as things had gone wrong they kind of fixed themselves and i was fine i unfortunately still had a broken leg i kind of woke up from my coma and i was like great what a wonderful thing to be alive and then i was like oh, I st my leg's still yeah. still still screwed um which is yeah that's a really yeah i mean that's a that's a really intense experience man i posted a video i was like in the sea in dubai i was wearing a dress and i was like posing and then, i saw like, that is this the one where you said that you had a really awkward moment where everyone else was basically saying stuff to you yeah they yeah, were kind yeah. of like there was like girls in the background they were kind of laughing at me and i thought come on this is dubai like yeah, every yeah. influence <laughs> this is nothing every, new everyone yeah, yeah. also i wasn't like in the way like yeah. i'm not i'm very like shy taking photos i hate doing it generally but especially in public i'm like oh just get the photo and be done please one take wonder and i was like oh i'm really not getting in the way of you guys but it you could visibly see me shrink and my confidence just got knocked and only when i was going through the content afterwards i was like maybe i should share this i literally shared it with a typo in the text but it got 17 million views yeah, yeah, yeah. you know so wow. you just know I, if i knew it was gonna get 17 million views i would have probably picked a nicer cover photo yeah, yeah, i would have yeah, 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 you know yeah. spell yeah. checked and yeah, stuff yeah. like that do you ever think about like the the privacy element or the security element you know in terms of like putting a young girl out there with that much you know money is a big target obviously 100 percent. do you That's, worry about that yeah i like had a massive concern um in regards to her safety hence the reason why she walks around with security yeah i saw that and yeah, yeah, yeah and and you know i have security with me nearly all the time even today i was on yeah, the you have to in London. yeah so you know, you know if you've got yeah, so i was asked you is, is it safe to come and i completely forgot where we were i don't even know where it was i was driving here putting ways and i've got people that will follow me back to back in certain situations like three four cars two three guys dogs in a car like security dogs they're all ready to make sure to protect me at any level and they are they're per they're there all the time at any minute it's, it's permanent payroll right so i'm it's done i've i've signed that contract it's a lifetime contract i have with them 
Really? Yeah, can I ask how much that? I was about to say. I'm can I ask so how much that is? Like, if you're really uncomfortable, we can take it off air. But like, I'm just I'm curious yeah, can, to know like how we much. Can cut it if we need to. So basically, say. for yeah. my console, so I offer a consultancy fee to the owner of the business, and he's given me unlimited supply of security at any time for anyone I know, all the time with any car I want. Really? Yeah. So basically, wow. he's given me a percentage share in his security business. Yeah. He offered me twenty five percent. I said I don't want twenty five percent of your business, but I want unlimited security at any time. He said done. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Do you know so, what the what the usual rate is for that kind of thing? Like, um, I would say for an embassy car, I get a diplomat car. I get driven a diplomat car, so it's, you just like you can't stop that car without calling the embassy. Um, Wait, what? But yeah, yeah, I didn't know that was a rule. Okay. Yeah. So like, basically, these diplomat yeah. cars. I've seen them around. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. basically, you like you can't stop these cars. Um, I mean, his security company told me he's like these cars can't be stopped, but I don't. You can stop anyway. It's not a problem. But if we're just trying to get to our destination. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're not trying, there's no. But then the cars behind. I would, I would say like a thousand per car because you've got two security in the car plus a car. Yeah. So, so, so like a thousand a day basically for, for a car to kind of... Probably more, more. because you, cause I've got like, you know, the last time I really used them was because when I was in London just before I left and it was three cars with six security and a dog. The dog's about three, four hundred quid for the day. The security about five hundred each. So it would have cost about three and a half thousand and the petrol. Do you, do you are, okay, so what if devil's advocate someone's like, do you really need that much? Like, you know, you, you get one car, maybe a couple of goons. Like, is that enough? No, I mean, it is enough, but he but he's just he just does it because he loves me. Right. As in like the amount of respect he has. Yeah. I said, I need one car, one guy. Yeah. yeah just yeah, send yeah. your biggest guy. And he's like, no, 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 I'm sending two. As in, because he knows, he knows security. He's like, Adam, like one's not enough because something went down. If they're going to rob you, you're not going to be protected with one guy. He's like, no, no, no. I'll send a car, backup car behind that car to protect you to make sure so then he was like no 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 i'll send another car to just protect you just in case something went down because obviously the situation that we're in a lot of people will see me they might know me and maybe there are people who hate people who don't you know respect people that maybe i don't know and from what i understand box raw was recently the boxing where that was used in creed 3 yes which is mm-hmm. sick creed 3, creed 3, what it is. Creed 3 and, Freak, and creed 2 actually Re- creed 2 as well yeah wow. yeah creed 2 yeah okay yeah. so how did that come about um the goal when I launched the company in 2017, it was always to get it into Creed. Um, was it? You know, ha- having okay. grown up watching Rocky, yeah. um, I was like, okay, we need to get Boxroy in there because right now he was wearing, in you know, the Creed 1, he was wearing Jordan, you know, Nike. Um, and it was just simple, you know, I went on to IMBD. I mean, the thing is, when you're starting out, right, you don't have any resources or contacts, so you just have to think, and you know, I'm a hustler by background, so I'll find a way to get shit done. Mm. Um, so I went on to IMBD, found out who the costume designer was, reached out to her on Facebook, um, spent about six months speaking to her, you know, we became very friendly and she's a great friend now, Antoinette. Um, and then news came out that we were filming for Creed 2. So I was like, okay, let me reach out to her now. I said, look, any chance of featuring Box Raw um, in Creed? And she was like, oh, I'm not working on the new one. I'm like, fuck. You know, I spent six months trying this That's, angle yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're not working on it. Um, but she then very kindly gave, made an introduction to a product sourcing company out in LA who put brands into movies. And she said, look, I'll make an introduction, but they might charge you. I was like, well, I ain't got any cash, but okay, I'll take the introduction. Spoke to them, we became friends, um, Kat and Adam Stone. And they were like, look, Michael B. Jordan's sponsored by Nike, so while we can't force him to wear it, we can at least get on an extra. And for me, that was goal complete. I was I was mm. happy with that. Yeah. So we sat on line list, they played a load of orders for products, delivered it, and then around two weeks later, it was a Thursday night, I remember at this point, because we hadn't been doing much business at all in America. So American was ringing me about 11 o'clock, pick up the phone, I won't try and do an American accent. He's like, I'm on set with Michael B. Jordan, he loves the track suits. Um, that's some of the actors wearing. Do you reckon you can send two sets for him um, for Saturday? I was like, 
and they were like, you, but we can't pay for shipping, you know. And in, in, inside, I'm like, why is it fucking sick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I'll well, make it happen. That's yeah. fine. I'll oh, make yeah. it happen. Yeah, I was I'll like, sort the postage <laughs> yeah, exactly. and packaging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. On the phone, I'm like, don't worry. I'll, I'll, I'll allow the packaging cost on this, on this instance. Right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. At that point, I'm still like, to the outside world, Box was still a very big company, you know, because we had a lot. Of, we had a large Instagram following from the from the get go of launch. Right. You know, we launched twenty thousand, then it grew very quickly um, within the community. We'll touch on yeah. yeah I was going to say we'll touch on that later. Yeah, and so yeah. Agreed to send it over, sent it off. Um, and then I was in Liberia on a mission trip with our charity, Boxing is Love. And the trailer comes out, and then he's wearing two of the tracksuits in the fucking trailer. Oh, no way. Um, I was like, wow. And I had no gauge. I had no idea about who's going to wear what. And yeah. the movie came out, and he wore it, wore it, wore that in Creed 2. And then when, and by, at this point, I hadn't got any direct communications with him or the team. Um, and then in 2019, I want to say, or 2020, news came out that they were filming for Creed 3. I thought, okay, this is an opportunity for us. And now we're in a different situation because one, our product offerings expanded completely. And you know, Michael likes it. I know. Well, this is an interesting thing, right? So a few months before that, the Daily Mail were posting photos of him wearing box raw, um, saying Michael be drawn training in this hoodie or training in this sauna suit. They're never tagging us, Daily Mail. Okay, like, right. You can very clearly fucking see box raw. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, just yeah, say yeah. he's wearing this thing. And then we were like, okay, where's he got that from? And obviously we checked the database, found out he's a customer. And um, I then went to literally every single person in his network that I could think of and started to try and build relationships. Um, and then when the opportunity came to speak to him, um, a half an hour uh, phone call turned into like an hour and a half. And we just we just hit it off um, instantaneously. Awesome. He loved the vision, loved the yeah. clothing, and he loved the equipment. You know, at this stage, they had a deal with another glove company. Um, and I was aware of that. But I was also aware of a lot of tension between that, you know, because I know that the, and to be careful what I say here, but I know the owner of that company, you know, pissed a lot of people off, basically. Right. Um, so I got it in there, explained the innovations, and, you know, he loved what he saw. You know, the reality was, it was what I was showing him a glove that had been developed over four years, but it still wasn't final. And I knew it felt shit inside, you know, but then he was like, right, we'll do it all. We'll take the gloves, we'll take the boots, we'll take the head guards, the groin guards, and you've got three months to deliver. I was like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Put the phone down, called up Ella, our product engineer. I was like, right, we've got three months. She was like, how are you going to do that? I was like, i got no fucking idea, but we need to get it done. And then we had to move production from China over to England because it was taking too long in China. Right, yeah. okay. We essentially moved into the factory, um, the same factory to do Bentley Motors, interiors, things like that. Wow. Um, and I literally lived in that factory for about three months trying to get all these products made. You know, I'm talking about the equipment. Yeah, of course. Um, and they placed, a, they placed an order for about 215 products. Um, so a hell of a lot of products, you know. Mm. And it, listen, it was a stressful, it was a very stressful period. I bet. Um, yeah, I mean, my, my health took a turn for the worst you know, during that period. I got diagnosed with Meniere's disease, um, mm. which is which was fine now. You know, it, it was actually a big wake up call. You know, but, what is Meniere's disease? So, but I get, I used to get random attacks of vertigo. Right. Um, so I could just be sitting there, and suddenly the room will start spinning. And then it got to a point where it was happening five times in a day. It happened once when I was driving. Then I crashed. Oh my and I was like, right, okay, I need to put my foot down and get it fixed. Um, and they basically said, look, there's no cure. The cure is less salt food preservatives, um, more sleep, less stress, do meditation, and no coffee. Did all that instantaneously. And then. And no coffee. No coffee, yeah. yeah. And then instantaneously, it, yeah, it fixed, okay. fixed itself and it hasn't come back since. Um, so there was a lot of learnings from it. But yeah, we delivered all the products in time. Mm. Um, and yeah, it, it was great for exposure. Was great for I was going to say, what, what kind of thing, like, when you when you do something like that like a you know one of the biggest movies of the year one of the biggest action stars in the world where's your brand what's the can you track the conversions you can't track them directly i guess yeah but, you know was it like you know the day after creed 3 comes out you know sales skyrocket or is it over a month you notice the gradual like how does that look yeah it, it was a bit of an anticlimax to be honest with you um i had these grand visions you know because I, I do a lot of research into other companies and understanding how they blew you know and under is a great example where 
um, I think it was any given Sunday where their products were first put out and the world saw for the first time, you know, this apparel which was stuck to your skin and, and their sales, you know, 10, 10x, you know, in the course of a year. Um, so in my head, I was like, oh, this is going to happen to us now, you know, because we were featured on the movie poster, everything. Okay. Wow. Um, and, you know, everyone was saying, oh, shit, I've seen Boxer Gloves now. Um, the collect- we had a collection with Creed, so the official Creed collaboration. That sold out instantly. You know, right, that okay. did great. The general, there was an uplift in traffic, you know, general uplift in sales, but nothing so sustaining, you know, whereby it's that, like, okay, that's made all the difference to us. Yeah. I think more than anything, it's the brand perception and um, maybe just a thing to hang your hat on, really. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think more so just, just a life goal. You know, I really wanted to yeah, get, yeah. I really wanted to get on the movie poster. I really wanted our gloves to be featured in the movie and, and the boots, you know, and that all happened. Can I ask... Um, what the diagnosis was with relation yeah. to you going down so i've got autosclerosis um which is the same thing that beethoven had and frankie valley it's it's essentially um it's when the stapes bone gets overgrown and brittle and can't vibrate properly so um it's a progressive hearing loss uh i had it in my right ear i basically lost maybe 60 percent of my hearing and it probably would have just carried on going down um, when I when I was 21, uh, I got I, I had an operation on it, uh, which I thought was gonna you know sort out all all my problems, and actually it just fucked me up. Um, In what way? So they say you can normally go back to work after like four weeks of this after the operation. I had like stuffing in my ear for like six weeks, so I couldn't go back to work as a singer because you got stuffing in your ear, you can't hear anything take it out after six weeks and I can't tell if I'm in tune or not I can't hear pitch and so I'm singing out of tune can't tell where I'm at and I'm supposed to be recording an album you know they've given me that it's cheaper to let you finish the album than to drop you spiel and um, (laughs) I just felt so much pressure on me Um, I got tinnitus 24-7 from it it was it a case of you literally just woke up one morning and the hearing was gone in one ear? Uh, no, I think it, it it happens really gradually. Um, so I I was like sleeping on one side of the the pillow and and there was roadworks outside where I was living and I noticed that if I slept on one side I could hear it and if I slept on the other I couldn't. I was like, what the hell's going on? Like if I got like earwax and uh, and it wasn't. It was it was. Uh, yeah, autosclerosis in both my ears. I know um, this was like a really, really sort of huge thing in your life. And I know that mm. it really quite badly affected your mental health. Mm. And I, want, I wondered if you could maybe touch on that. Yeah. So I was just at a point where like I had, as we discussed, n- no money, <laughs> um, no qualifications because I dropped out of school. I'd stopped table tennis. so I wasn't going to be a table tennis player. And now I can't hear anything. And... What I, what I then can hear after the operation is it's just messed up. I couldn't tell if I was in tune. Um, and also, any re- any like really loud noise was super painful. So where I, whereas before I'd be on stage like singing my ass off with loud music, I then couldn't do that because it was so painful. And I'm just like, what the hell am I doing? Like, what am I supposed to do here? And also because of that, I was really down and anxious about my future and depressed yeah, that you know i had to deal with this hearing stuff i thought i was going mad i was so unbelievably anxious all the time and i was just kind of at the end of my tether um but yeah a few amazing things happened one was was tom 
being there for me and and, and being supported throughout that time. The second thing was I, I reached out to my old table tennis coach and I was like, I'm really, really struggling. Like, I want to be successful, but, you know, all these things are kind of standing in my way. And, and he's like, who's in control of, of those things? Like, who's in control? I was like, well, I am. He's like, can anyone do anything about it? I was like, no. He's like, okay, so you're in control, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay, you say you want to be successful. What, what does that mean? Like, what, what do you mean by that? I was like, well, I, I probably want like a, I don't know, I want to win a Grammy for an album. He's like, okay, how do you do that? I was like, oh, well, okay, I probably need to have like a number one single or something to have a Grammy. Like, this is what I thought at the time. So, and uh, he's like, okay, how do you do that? So I'm like, well, it probably needs to be played on Radio 1 and stream well. So I'm like, okay, how do you do that? So I'm like, oh, well, Maybe I need to be working with uh, the producers who are getting the songs on Radio 1. It's like, okay, who are they? So I was like, okay, well, let me do some research. Okay, I, f I found a few people and they seem to be kind of doing that that sound. It's like, okay, what, what are they playing on Radio 1? So I like listened to all the songs. And it's like, what have they got in common? It's like, okay, yeah, they're all like... <laughs> and uh, there's some like auto tune on them as well. And I was like, this is actually great because I can't fucking sing in tune right now because my ears are <laughs> so, And uh, the, the lyrics are meaningful. The song's about something, but it's broad. Anyone can understand it. So, okay. And what about their social media? Well, well, all these people who seem to have like success in the music industry, they're, they're, they're doing well on social media. They have a presence. Back then, I wasn't really posting. Um, He's like, okay, well, what are they doing on social media? So I was like, oh, well, they're, they're posting about, you know, them in the studio, them on tour, things that are going on in their lives. So I'm like, okay, I could do that. And uh, when are they posting? So I'd be like, oh, normally around 6 p.m. That seems to be when when their followers are online. I'm like, okay, maybe I could do that. And then suddenly from this, like, angst that I was feeling of I want to be successful, but I'm also really struggling and, like, I think I'm going mad. And it became something that I could do about that feeling and a, a few things, you know, a few habits that I could, you know, do instead. And, and that was amazing. It, 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 it turned this angst that I was feeling of there's, there's this thing which I want, which is completely out of my control. I think I'm going mad. I think I'm, I'm losing my hearing. I'm losing my mind to, okay, there's something I can do about that. And that was massive. Yeah. yeah, how much does a veil normally cost on average? I mean, sure there's so, a range, but... Yeah, well, that's that's the interesting thing. I think mm -hmm. when I set this business up, I thought most people would spend one to 200. What I have since realized is, you know, our, our veils range from 100 to five and a half thousand. Um, it depends how much your wedding budget is, really. It's the same as dresses. Some brides will spend 500 pounds on a dress. Some will spend 30 grand. Yeah. So I would say most people now spend around the thousand pound mark um but we are more of the luxury end okay. you know you can this is the thing whenever brides come to me they always go wow the quality is really beautiful because a lot of the veils in a shop are imported cheap from china and they're scratchy material okay. their stuff's being glued on yeah. <laughs> um, and you know i think i think there's this misconception with the wedding industry that you're just paying 10 times the price but actually we've become 
very accustomed to clothing being very cheap. You know, you can buy a dress for five pounds, but that dress takes a couple of hours to make. And I think what we have that disconnect is we don't see labor costs anymore because we're so used to importing. And there's just a real issue with that. Whereas what you're comparing to is, you know, I pay my assistant national um, London living wage, even though we're not even in London, you know, because that's really important to me. I don't want to work and have my company based on volunteers or interns. So many people have said to me, just get an intern. (laughs) It's like, it's not quite as simple yeah, as that yeah, yeah. and also these people have bills to pay and if i want them to do a good job i need to value them but i think that's where you know the wedding industry actually generally not everything you know there are some some wedding bells um i work on from other designers and for instance i'll hand embroider and sometimes they turn up and i actually said to one of my brides like i'm not sure this is the quality you're necessarily expecting because they'd glued everything on with hot glue gun and there were literally bits of lace like flapping about and i said to her over the reasonable price of 200 quid she had paid over 600 pounds for this bail and i said look if you would like me to work on it i will but i just want you to know i don't think that this is what you necessarily saw in the shop and that's the thing some of these shops they show you something and then they've got a cheap knockoff that they then send you right okay and that's a real issue, you course, know, yeah. because it's not authentic. And, you know, she ended up arguing for the shop, getting her money back, and we just made the whole veil. And she was much happier. And, you know, I think that there is, it's it's really sad that quite a few brides will be taken advantage of. I'd say probably 20 to 30% of our brides have already got a veil because in their wedding appointments, they jack them up with a tiara, with their shoes, with a veil, and... Full princess mode. Full princess mode. And they yeah. go, yes, I'll have it all. And then they go, oh, actually, because they're so caught up in the moment. Mm. I think if you love it, great. But I always say, just get the dress and then go back for an accessories appointment because then you can see, do I actually love it? Or was I just having my, yeah. like, everyone's crying, so I've got to get everything. But so many brides come to me already having a veil that just doesn't mm. isn't what they want what would be the difference you said you offer anything from like one or two hundred to like mm. five and a half thousand yeah. what 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 is the difference for example yeah. if i was to get a veil from you for 100 pounds as opposed yeah. to five grand so we use the same materials um unless so basically we've got our classic tools uh, which are all the same materials whether you spend 100 pounds or in the thousands we also do silk which is a thousand pounds plus and that's you know pure silk that's the cost is in the material itself um the difference is we do we use the same principles so the same quality the same techniques we just do less obviously for 100 pounds will be a plain veil beautifully made beautifully finished a thousand pound veil will have lots of lace on a five thousand pound veil will be hand stitched hand cut lace on a silk tool so what we try and do is always find out a budget first so that we can offer everything on and below because there's such a huge range (laughs) you know and it's like the number of people who come to me and want Meghan Markle's veil and they've got a 200 pound budget and it's like (laughs) yeah I would love to you know she was marrying the prince of England yeah (laughs) Yeah, exactly (laughs) different budgets (laughs) times it by 100 um you know so we always try to sort of manage manage that and i know some people think 
wow, spending £5,000 on a veil is crazy. Honestly, when I set up my business, I probably thought that too. But what I didn't think about was most of our veils are sort of classed as heirloom veils. So they get handed down. You know, we do... One of the things that I love to do is do um, bespoke embroidery where, you know, it might be their mum's handwriting or their grandma's handwriting. And then that gets sort of passed down through the family. Whereas a dress... Yeah, it's just that really personal... I think that's the thing, like most of my brides come to me because they can't find exactly what they want and I give them the freedom to be creative without needing to class themselves as creative do you know what I mean they can tell Mm. me all their crazy ideas and I go okay this is what I think you want and And that is true because you can pass a veil down yeah you can't pass a dress down Really. Not really. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think people we'll do that. I don't know if people do that at all. But I think some people yeah. do. But it's not as well, applicable. Yeah, 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 yeah. But okay. it's not as applicable for, as a veil. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, is all your stuff bespoke then, or do you have so, some off the shelf? Yeah. So I've got a classic collection online, which is sort of hundred to a thousand, um, and people can mix and match. Everything is made to order. So the lovely thing about that is someone can say, "I want to combine these two designs. I want to make it longer, shorter, change the color." Um, but we have that as a sort of classic collection. Um, and I'd say that's probably about 20%, but then 80% is bespoke. Um, and in that sort of probably 50% is fully bespoke. Just crazy ideas. Does Lovett qualify as a B Corp? We're certified, yeah. That's yeah, awesome. Okay. We, we got it in 2020. Right. Yeah, we got it that in 2020. It's one of the things I'm really proud of. It mm. means a lot to me, the team, hopefully our customers. I, th- I, mean, I think as a consumer, when I see B Corp on something, it does give me a bit more of an incentive to purchase. And I'm not the most climate aware person. I try and do my bit, but it does make a difference when I see that stamp. Yeah, look, because I know how hard it is to get it. It took us a year and a half um, and it is a lot of work to do, but I'd highly recommend it for anyone. Anyone who wants advice is thinking about it, more than happy to spend some time with you on that. We have one person dedicated to just B Corp, who's the B Corp champion. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what that process involves? I know it's obviously pretty dense, but just a kind of overview of what that process looks like. Yeah, yeah, sure. So the good thing about B Corp is there's this kind of initial assessment online, which you can do. And it's deliberately hard to make sure that people are doing it for the right reasons, as opposed to just greenwashing. Mm. And what's, what's greenwashing? Greenwashing is when people are pretending that they really care about the environment and, right. you know, the communities, but actually they're not. Uh, very easy to do. Again, we're not perfect. You know, we're in an industry which historically hasn't been that environmentally friendly because of the fact that the caravans are built from plastic. Mm. Um, but in answer to your question, the good thing in terms of the process, you do this assessment and then they give you guidance of, it's not just about the environment, it's the way you treat your um, stakeholders, be that your customers, your suppliers, your shareholders. So there are loads of different areas. It's how you think about minimum wage, how you think about the the differences between the top pay and the lowest pay. There are literally 180 different questions in the whole thing, which you have to prove produce evidence of right. and, it, and it's hard you have to get a score of 80 we just made it three three years ago we've just had to recertify um which has taken my colleague i'd love to claim that i that i did it all it's not uh, a lovely colleague of mine called leanne who's our b corp champion and help of an external consultant but it's really really good and it just means i i 100 believe in what they stand for which is putting purpose before profit 
I think you can have a successful financial business and do good as well. And I don't want to come across as like sermonizing, because that's not that's not me. And no system is ever perfect. So I totally take on board criticisms of it, but it's a start. And as a process and as a community, we are open to, you know, if anyone's got better ideas, we're all ears. But it's a group of companies who really want to do better and strive to do better. And there's been amazing stories, success stories. Mm. You know, I was actually selling some um, some wireless tickets online that I couldn't, I couldn't go there anymore. So I was selling some wireless tickets online and a close friend of his messaged me for the tickets. And somehow in the conversation, he mentioned the fact that he knew notes. And I just was building the business at the time. You know, it was very, very small. I was just passionate about what I was doing. And I always looked up to this uh, other young reseller called Benjamin Kicks. Heard of him, yeah. And I really looked up to him at the time. And I, you know, saw him selling to rappers in the US. And he was doing really, really well. And I always wanted to do something like that. But I never knew how I could get into it. Was Notes big at this at this point? He had dropped... Um, Addison Lee? Addison Lee, and he had dropped Aladdin. Right, okay. So, so yeah, he was. He was. He, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Those two songs yeah, were yeah, really yeah. big. And, and yeah. if you knew about UK rap, you, you knew who Notes was. Yeah. But he, as I said, he was a kid at the time. He was just building his career. So it really happened at the right time for me. Uh, and I was very lucky, to be honest, because his friend was so chilled. And I asked him if he could introduce me to Notes and he could show Notes my business. And he was like, of course. And then the next day I get a DM from Notes and I just start talking to him. Wow. And really, I think it comes from the fact that I was passionate about what I was doing, that I started building a relationship with him. That I was just sending him products and I was just like, have a look at these, you know, anything you need, just let me know and and I'll look after you. And he bought a pair of Air Maxes. I jumped on the train, uh, went to Tiny Temper Studio in Greenwich to go and meet him. Damn. And I was super nervous. I was like... It was the first, you know, celebrity I was selling to, and how I, old were you at this point? Sorry. I was fourteen. <laughs> so I, I, I know, know dude, is it? I told you, yeah. it's insane. Like nuts. It was, it was okay. great. It's, it's interesting to to think back on it because, you know, when you're a kid, you just do things. You don't really think, but then when you look back on it, you're like, no, oh, that's 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 incredible. It's mm. it's crazy how how it's, it's sort of, you know, I think you attract things in life, but sometimes you get lucky, mm. right? And I definitely took advantage of that at the time. And uh, I was very lucky that Notes was so chilled and he was, you know, as I said, a kid himself and he was just like, yeah, sure, come along. And I and I come to the studio and holding a pair of these shoes and they were just so excited by the fact that I was young and I was there in the studio and it was, it was kind of exciting for him at the time too, I think, because he was still growing as an artist. Mm. He was still building his career. So I think it was quite cool that he had someone paying that much attention to him and someone that really wanted to, was really interested in his individual style because for music artists their their style and their appearance is is re- is really part mm. of who they are it's mm. really important and that's how it started that's how uh, working with celebrities started at the age of 14 in a um, tiny tempers studio in greenwich i had no idea who stephen butler was in january this year last year last year okay i right, had right, no right. idea who he was right and in January, there was an article that was written and it says Stephen Bartlett makes 1.8 million from his podcast a year. And two of my friends sent me that. And so I clicked on it and I was like, who is this guy? I sent the exact same article to him. Mm. Did you? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, who is this guy? And I was like, okay. And I started listening to his podcast. I became addicted to it. I loved it. One Friday afternoon, I'm sitting at work. I was having an okay day. I get, a, I get an Instagram DM from Reshma, my auntie. Again, I've yeah. told you she's a saver in my story. Uh, should I go on his podcast? And I was like, mm. yes. Mm. 
yes, you should go on his podcast. And she was like, it's in LA. And I was like, wait, what date? I'm going to LA. And then she said, um, it's gonna be on these dates. And I had not had been to LA since I was a kid. And me and my boyfriend had, had planned to go there. We'd booked our flights yeah. to go on holiday on those exact same dates. Whoa. And I was like, this is, That's this, is crazy. this is nuts. Yeah. yeah. And then the day before, and this was, this was the weird thing. I really thought, I really believed that I was gonna interview him. But I also didn't want to set myself up where I was so hyped for it, yeah. where I prepared so much that yeah. if it didn't happen, I was really disappointed. But now I'm like, that was so stupid because I should have prepared a bit more because I was just going with her to the podcast. It was never I was going to do a podcast with him. And I took my little camera. And when the podcast finished, I said to him, hey, do you mind if we record a podcast? And he was like, yeah, sure. And so imagine if it's a setup like this. And I was like, oh, how should we imagine it's like me and you. So I was like, how should we like move the chairs? And he was he just like looked at his producer. And I and I, and I actually said this to my boyfriend. I was like, I bet you he's going to let me use a setup. And he said, should we just do it here? Because why would we rearrange all of the yeah, furniture and all yeah, of that yeah, nonsense? Yeah. And in that moment, I was like, I, this is this is meant to be. Yeah, yeah. This is so meant to be. Wow. And I didn't ask him the questions of like, the basic questions of, tell me about your journey, tell me this. I was like, why did you write this in your book? You've written this in your book, but this is what you do in real life. What's the, what's the disparity? And that was the key, I think, that people really loved in that interview was when you interview someone like Stephen Bollett, everyone's like, oh, how did you start Diary of CEO? No one cares. You know, everyone now cares because he's like, a, he's mm. grown it so tremendously. But at that time he was good, he was number one, but nothing he had done was like crazy revolutionary. Yeah. Even now, Stephen will tell you the same thing. I have an AI trackpad underneath my thing. Mm. I have six editors that do my work. I have Grace that tells me, we test everything on Facebook. We run ads. Once you've listened to it in a podcast once and you're a huge fan of his, you wanna know what the underlayer is, mm. right? Mm. And um, that podcast changed so much for me because I interviewed the number one person in the game who said to me that I have the potential to be number one. And that gave me the self-belief wow. that I really, really needed. Because I don't know if you've seen the podcast, in the podcast, he's like, if you keep doing what you're doing, you'll be number one. You'll be, he said, you'll be number one in five years. And he was like, you will be 100%. That's enough of a mess, mate. That's, that's, that's yeah. That would so, send shockwaves up my spine. Yeah, it was. And so for me, I felt really boosted and really, I guess, what I'm doing and, and you know, the podcast game you know, it's very new. A lot of people don't know where the potential is, right? Yes, okay, the potential's in sponsors. Yeah, okay, the potential's in like making a bit of money on social media, but nobody knows the actual scalability of it. And mm. I think there's huge scalability. I agree, completely agree. And there's not very many podcasts in the UK, I don't think, that are doing really crazy things. Yes. And for me in that moment, I was, you know, I still am a small podcaster, I would say. And I, in that moment, was thinking, okay, well, I really need to make this number mm. one. And I, I didn't have that self-belief. I didn't have that confidence. And he just gave that to me. And he didn't have to give it to me. And so for me, I just thought, okay. And I came back to the UK and he did a whole LinkedIn post about how brave it was that I asked. And again, I think there's these small things in life, and everybody has them, by the way, of things that you do that other people are, like, shocked by. Me asking Stephen was not a big deal. I, I still, to this day, can't understand why everyone is so shocked yeah, by I, it. Yeah, I, I, I can't mm. see that, to be honest with you. But Stephen did a whole post about it. He then, when I came back from LA, he then just spoke about it on the Davina McCall podcast and was like, nobody does this. So I remember in the noughties, everyone was like, well, they've been saying it for a long time, but I remember in the noughties specifically, it was like, uh, cinema's dying, there's no good films anymore, and... Uh, that the cinemas are basically all going to start closing. And since that, I remember 2008 is when Iron Man 1 came out, which was the start of the MCU. Such a so, good film. 
great film. So since that time, we've had in the top 10 highest grossing films of all time, I think almost all of them have come out apart from Titanic in that time. So you could look at that metric and be like, we've had the highest grossing films yeah. of all time come out in the last, however you want to call it, like 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Clearly the market is healthy. Cinema, don't quote me on this, but like the revenue for cinema is actually going up. The problem is, is that it's like I was saying with TV and radio, it's become incredibly consolidated. So what you've seen is the rise of the superhero genre become mm. really prominent. And what that essentially is, is yes, there's a market of uh, marketing to essentially 14 year old boys who love going to the cinema to see like things fight. There's that, but it's more about creating experiences to entice you out of your living room. Exactly, so that's, that's also what I think it is. I the, think the, 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 if you think about Christopher Nolan at the top of his game of big budget summer blockbuster, Denis Villeneuve, these large like, oh, but you've got to see it in IMAX. You're missing out if yeah. you don't. You've got to see it on the big screen experience. So what you're seeing is the death of the rom-com, the death of the comedy, which is sad, because why do you need to go into a room to watch that when you get essentially the same cinematic experience mm. in your living room? I don't think that's true, but a lot of people think that. Instead, it's like you have to go see Dune mm. on the big screen. Yeah. You have to go see Oppenheimer. It was shot on 70 mil IMAX film. Come pay 25 pounds for the ticket get you in so it's just it's just going to change and lean more into justifying the big screen experience Uh, premium viewing so you've got imax which is huge and then you've got the sort of bougie leather sofa every every person like come and if you if you don't if you don't want to leave your home that's right i'll make it more comfortable than your home and i'll sell you an 11 pound glass of malbec and a pizza yeah yes you can come this is IMAX wow. is like the other way. Yeah. It's like it was shot on IMAX film. It's yeah. like not, IMAX isn't just a bigger screen. It's an effect created. It's on an experience. Shot like, on a larger yeah. piece of celluloid yeah. when projected on a large screen creates a more immersive yeah, effect. Yeah. So wow. you'll just see more consolidation of bigger entertainment. 